0: So yesterday, I had the privilege of officiating a wedding, and uh, here's what happened. Uh, The groom said, committed to a big yes, the bride, the rest of his life, the bride reciprocated a big yes, committing love to the groom the rest of her life. And uh, that was a big yes, worth celebrating. It was celebrated for a long time. Um, but after that big yes of to you and you alone, to you and you alone, uh, as long as we both shall live, there's a series of small yeses that will follow. So yes, I will give you a shoulder rub even though I don't want to. Yes, I will clean the dishes. Yes, I will uh, sacrifice and work hard for our family. Yes, I will change my ways of doing things in order to be a blessing into your ways of doing things. Yes, we will work through conflict. And and all those yeses and the big yes that happened yesterday also implied a whole lot of no's. We, we don't normally think of it this way, but like, no, I'm not interested in any other woman. No, I'm not going to entertain, you know, being pursued and courted by any other man. And so all of the yeses and all of the no's, it's, it's training To grow in love together. And so this week we're going to look at how our commitments are driven by whatever we think is good. We all move towards whatever we think is good. And when you say yes to something, it's because you believe that it's good. And this is the opposite side of what we looked at last week. Uh, here's a quick overview of last week. We were in the book of Judges, looked at the life of Samson, and we saw that transformation, this change into likeness, the point of our training for godliness, transformation is always a crisis followed by a process. And when we fail at the process, we've got to return to the crisis. That's what we looked at last week. We, we also said that, that the pain of staying the same has to exceed the pain of changing. In order, in order to change, because change is hard, it's difficult, we have to look at where we are right now and say that the pain of staying the same is greater than no matter what happens when I change. I, I can't stay where I am right now. And as I, as I was thinking about that, I'm like, that's all true and good. And I'm glad we talked about that last week. But there's another side to the coin. There's another side of this transaction, which is that transformation is also... In a positive sense, it's a vision, a vision of the good life. What is good? We want to move towards that. And when we fail at the, at the process of moving towards that, we've got to return to the vision. We've got to return to what we see and decide is good so that we don't just look at change like, well, I'm in pain, so I've got to change. But we also look at change as change is an opportunity to increase our joy. It's an opportunity to move towards what's good. So here's just a real life example. Um, Rather than looking in the mirror and saying, I don't want to be fat, it's it's like looking at health and saying, I want to enjoy all the benefits of being healthy. Namely, I want to give myself every opportunity to live a long life And to be a blessing to as many people as I can be. I want to be in shape so that I can run with my boys. Play with my girls. Pick them up for a long time. I want to enjoy all those benefits. And so last week we used the phrase, raise your rock bottom. right? In order to avoid crisis. Like Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. uh, You've heard that it was said, don't murder but i tell you don't be angry with your brother raise your rock bottom you've heard that it was said don't commit adultery but i tell you anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart raise your rock bottom don't think that it's you're good enough because you haven't committed adultery right raise your rock bottom that that's what we looked at last week this week i think jesus also invites us to raise the roof can you feel me oh man tough crowd <laughs> There you go, thank you, Shannon. <laughs> so, but really, you know, that's how we grow. That's how we move up and to the right. We, got, we gotta raise our rock bottom, but th- that's just part of it. Right? That's just the crisis response. And we gotta be connected to the crisis, but we also need to be connected to, okay, so where are we going? What's next? And we gotta raise the roof. We gotta raise our gaze. Raising our rock bottom is just, that's where we don't want to be anymore. But to raise the roof is to think and to imagine. This takes a greater imagination. To think, what, where do I really want to go? What's, who, what kind of man do I really want to be? Uh, what is the truly good life? What's the truly good life? Jesus said this, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field When a man found it, he hid it again. Then in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant, someone who sells things. Merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought the fine pearls, the fine pearl of great value. And so he tells two stories with one point. And the point is this, relationship with God, it's so valuable that one would be eager, even happy, to give up everything for it. And so going back to the marriage illustration, when when we enter into covenant love relationship with God, uh, you have to say, I do or I don't. There's no maybe, there's no middle ground, the nature of this relationship. You, you can't get married by saying I do with the uh, caveat of only for, you know, you, for better or for worse, but only this far. In sickness and in health, but only up to this point. No, th- this is the way covenant relationship works. There's no it depends. It's yes or no, there's no maybe. And with all that being said, I want to be clear on this point. If you're here kicking the tires on who Jesus is, and what it means to follow him, you are absolutely welcome. So, so glad you're here, and I'm not trying to force anybody into into a decision, and neither is anybody else here, but this is just the nature of the decision, okay? Um, There's no halfway, and and, and you might hear that and be like, whoa, uh, I got some objections springing up, like, Uh, this one that we looked at last week, uh, you know, Paul in Romans seven, he, he said, I don't do the good that I want to do. Um, you know, I don't carry out this commitment that I've made perfectly. And so here's what we're going to do today. I I just couldn't leave Romans seven and Romans eight alone. So we're going to kind of drink from a fire hydrant, um, the fire hydrant of Romans eight. But we're going to start with Romans seven, um, Verse twenty-one. Here's, I think, a common objection uh, to just this this idea of covenant, love relationship, of finding the good life in God. Paul says this. The apostle Paul, I find this law at work, although I want to do good. Evil's right there with me in my inner being. I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am, who will rescue me from this body subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. So Paul does acknowledge that we have two competing natures going on. But I said this last week and I'll say it again. You cannot use this passage as a cop out. Meaning, you can't come to this passage and say, well, this is just unavoidable. I'm, I'm bound to sin, I'm, I'm destined to sin. Uh, there's nothing I can do about it. Th- this is not a cop-out because he goes on in Romans 8, verse 1. Therefore, in the midst of both wanting to do good and only doing so partially, he says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the, the old law was powerless to do because it was weakened by your flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so Jesus condemned sin in the flesh so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who don't live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. So again... I'm kind of sorry, we're gonna be drinking from a fire hydrant today, Romans eight. I would love to spend like a year in Romans eight. Maybe one year we will. Um, But I just gotta say, Jesus has condemned your sin. He's condemned your sin and not you. And so when we're thinking about the good life, we have to ask our question, how good is that really to me? That although I deserve to be condemned, I'm not. But that which is condemnable in me, my sin, it, it is condemned by God. And it's replaced with the righteousness of Christ. So the implication of this is you can't sin your way out of relationship with God any more than you can earn your way into relationship with God. Jesus is so precious that if you belong to him, you'll always belong to him. But if you use that as a license to sin, if you use that to say, okay, nothing's ever going to uh, you know, be held against me, then I can just do whatever I want. It's like a spouse using the vows to do whatever they want. Well, she promised to not leave me, so I'm just going to you know, do things my way, irrespective of her wishes. Um, it would be absolutely miserable. <laughs> and so, so why? Why be absolutely miserable? Paul goes on to say that this being made right with God, it it leads not to misery, it leads to goodness. It leads to growth. It leads to growing love. I'm going to read verses 5 through 11. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. Those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh, it's hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law. It can't even submit if it wanted to. Those who are of the realm of the flesh, they they just can't please God. You, however, so he's making a contrast. If you're a believer, you're not in the realm of the flesh, but you're in the realm of the spirit. Now, you still have sinful desires, but he's saying that's not your master anymore if the spirit of God lives in you. But if anyone doesn't have the spirit of Christ, you don't belong to Christ without the spirit. Verse 10, this is very important. We're gonna camp here, we're gonna camp here a little bit. If Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, Paul's acknowledging, we're all still sinners, okay? The spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, that same spirit who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal dying bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. So I'm trying to emphasize the connection to chapter seven, right? If you or anyone you ever hear use chapter seven as a cop-out verse, you you know, Paul's not done yet. (laughs) He's building on this. And so in chapter seven, who will rescue me from this body of death, this mortal body? Well, Christ will rescue, and he will do so through his spirit, giving life in an ongoing way. So this is a very simple illustration, but this week I connected a, a hose to a faucet outside, right? Turned on the faucet, and the hose ran water through it. Well, if, if, if the spirit is in you, you're connected you're connected to the living God. The, the water is on, and, and life, like it's actually the life of God. It flows through you, okay? Um, if there's not water, if there's not life coming out on the other end of the hose, it's because you're not connected. And I don't have anyone in our church in mind, and I don't like to do this, but uh, I just see it in the in the word, so I'm going to do it. Um, if that's you, if you're not sure about your connection, uh, it's 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 way too important to ignore. Uh, you have to get clarity on this. If you've claimed Christ for a long time and you've never seen any tangible change, don't stay in that spot. Like, don't think that's okay because it's not. That's uh that's evidence that you might not be connected. That's evidence that you might not have ever been born again and received the life from above. Um, and, and it's available. It's, it's just so available. So, you know, if you look at the end of the hose, if you take your spiritual pulse and you see no water, you feel no uh, spiritual life beat, uh, talk to someone, talk to me. There's, that's a great conversation to have. Because if Christ is in you, what Romans 8 says, he'll be changing you. And in the midst of all that, we have, we have an obligation. So let's keep reading. Uh, go back to the fire hydrant. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we, we have an obligation. But it's not to our flesh, right? Which is still a part of our life. It's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die, but if by the spirit you put to death, by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you'll live. So again, going back to the hose, my hose had all sorts of kinks in it as I worked. As I was maneuvering that, that hose around, it just kink, kink. And there's still water, you know, trickling out. But I was like, there's way more water being pushed out of that faucet than what's coming out the end of my hose. And that's our job. We got to unkink the hose. Check, you know, like, our job is not exclusively like, oh, check the hose for all the kinks. We we want water, to f- we want the life to flow out. But you know, if, oh man, this, this, uh, it's diminishing over here. There's got to be a kink, you know, somewhere in my hose. And so, put to death the misdeeds of the body, unkink the hose. And as you do this, this is incredible to me. As you obey. God's teaching, what you'll actually experience is what Paul talked about in Philippians 2. It's God who works in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure. So if you want to experience more of Jesus, um, do what he said. Just Do what he said. And that's that's really hard to do. Uh, But you'll experience him because it's hard for you to do and he will help you do it. In verse 14, Paul said, Those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit that you receive doesn't make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, by the Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. It's a consistent source of encouragement. The hose ju- doesn't just flow out and bless other people. It, he, he blesses us. And if we're children, which we are, then we're heirs. There's a lot to say about this. That's for another day. If we're heirs, then, then we're heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If we share in his sufferings now, so we share in his glory. So all that to say, I, I just want to encourage you. The, the very best part of heaven um, the person of Jesus, he, he's what makes heaven great. The Lord God, the trying God. The best part of heaven is available right now. Relationship with God. So I'm not going to read all of the fire hydrant of Romans 8. It does go on to talk about how God's working all things, including suffering for the good of those who love him. But that's the whole point of this message is that God is good. I see evidence that God is good everywhere in Romans 8, but I do want to read you the end of Romans 8 because if love relationship with God is your greatest good, there is no greater encouragement than how Romans 8 ends. What shall separate us from the love of Christ, from our greatest good? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword As it's written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us because nothing. Death, nor life, angels, nor demons, present or future, nor any powers, height or depth, nor anything else in all creation, nothing can and nothing will separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. So, if you have set that aside, if you have said, I do, if you will, to covenant relationship with God, nothing will ever take away your greatest good. And why any of this matters is because we're all moving towards, we can't help it. We make plans. We're all moving towards whatever seems good to us. We make plans. We cultivate desires. We make choices based on what we think is good. It's, it's better, it's good to have this job. It's, it's good, it's better to live in this house, to, to hang out with these people. We all move towards whatever is good. And, and, and Romans 8, you know, to me, it just reminds me, do, do I really think, that, does God seem good to me? Like irresistibly good. Uh, do, do I remember what God has done in making me pure and blameless in his sight? How good is that to me? How much time do I spend thinking about that? What God is doing right now in unkinking parts of my life where the flow of his life in me and through me is being uh, diminished. Uh, How good is what God's doing? How much good do I assign to what God is doing right now to changing me? And what God will do in the future, I've always struggled with thinking about the future life with God, but it's incredibly good. We don't have all the details, but we do know It's so good. It's so good. And it it doesn't just happen that we stay connected to what's good. We have to train. We have to intentionally move towards that. And so here's just some examples of what training could look like. Um, Read your Bible, right? But, But don't just read your Bible. Read it with the end in mind of, I want to enjoy the goodness of God. When I read this passage, I want to find what points out that God is good. Read your Bible in order to really see and enjoy the goodness of God, because we're not going to trust him if we don't think he's good. But the, the Bible points to a good and beautiful God. Here's another just way of training. So maybe you know you're, you're already doing that first one or. Maybe you feel like that first one's out of reach. Well, what about this? Just pray for the lost and and, and contemplate, okay, people who think that there's good, that that the very greatest good is is out there apart from Jesus. Um, Where is that good leading them? Uh, Contemplate where they're going. Contemplate their trajectory. And as you train, that's training, uh, you just might be compelled to, even become foolish in order to offer them a greater good, in order to help them find the greatest good that they're looking for. Uh, here's, here's a really easy training exercise. Find something that you enjoy, maybe good food, um, maybe a beautiful sunset, maybe just a job well done, like you, you finished a job and man, I love getting stuff done, Right? And then just soak in the goodness of God in that. The goodness of God is all around us. We we just need to uh, remember it and and find ways to be connected to it. Um, there's Bible passages for all those. I'll give you after the message if you want those three. A beautiful sunset, good food, a job well done. It's all, it's all biblical. Um, the kingdom of God is not tiny like this and then we got to, you know, like have that part in the rest of our lives, it's good and it's big and it includes everything in our life. And as you soak in the goodness of God, you know, in in what you enjoy, you might start this, like it might become a habit to you so that when trials or difficulties come, you got some momentum, you know, like you've been thanking God and enjoying his goodness and so when trials come, you, you could actually, I mean, you don't feel pure joy, I don't, but you can count it as pure joy. Just like James says. And, and then use that evidence that God is working all things together for good. That he's even using this trial so that I might be mature and complete. Well, that's a good thing. And I don't like the trial, but he's bringing about good. And so all that to say, if we, if we want to see God raise the roof of our lives to, to give us a new and compelling vision of what, what is the good life. We've, we've got to train, train. We've got to train. And training just looks like weighing it out on a consistent basis. What's good? What, what is the greatest good here? And so, in closing, uh, the good life is life with the good God. And the gospel that Jesus proclaimed is the kingdom of God has come near so change your thinking change your mind repent and believe the good news repent that the good God is available to you so let's talk to this good God and it's pretty incredible uh He's not a, He's not offended at our offenses. like he, He's not going to be bitter towards you that you've been valuing things more highly. He's going to be really happy like a father when his son comes home. He's going to be really happy when you come back to him and say, look, I've been valuing uh, this potential relationship. I've been valuing this work as a greater good than you. Um. So talk to good about to to God about his goodness and about the other goods in your life and